The Feminist Coach Academy podcast is proudly supported by Perk Digital, podcast management and marketing for professionals and experts. For more information about how podcasts can help you build your career and business, visit perkdigital.com.au. Welcome to the Feminist Coach Academy podcast, where inclusive feminism, business, and coaching meet. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the co-founders of the Feminist Coach Academy, Naomi Arnold and Cameron Aaron. We are feminist life and biz coaches, both passionate about helping coaches, therapists, helping professionals, practitioners, and entrepreneurs integrate a feminist lens and perspective into their businesses, life, and client practice. On this podcast, we plan to help you do so. Now let's get started. Hello, welcome to the podcast. We are back with season five, finally. (laughs) It took us a little bit longer to put out, um, to record episodes for season five and to finally put them out. We have been very busy doing a lot of other things, so we haven't been able to give the podcast the kind of love that we've wanted to. But we are finally able to, and we're excited to come back for another season. And we're excited to start season five with an episode with FCA advisory board member, faculty member, and facilitator, Sharon Holmes. And so this is a conversation that I, Cam, had with Sharon several months ago. And we thought that it would be a really good one to share. And it's all about social justice, the connection between social justice and spirituality, and also sensitivity. So, and we we hope that you enjoy. So without further ado. Hello, this is Cam here. And today I am here with advisory board member, FCA advisory board member and faculty member Sharon Holmes, who is also a good friend of mine. And really excited to have you here, Sharon. Hi, Cam. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to having a chat with you today. Awesome. So I guess just real quick, maybe we'll just introduce you in case for people who don't know who you are. But if anyone listening has been to the Feminist Coach Academy website, you should see Sharon all over there as they are, like I mentioned, on the advisory board, as well as faculty. They teach a wonderful class on privilege, racial trauma, awareness, and harm. And they also host our integration calls. So Sharon is very much a part of FCA. And we've had Sharon on the podcast before. Or we have shared an episode with Sharon on the podcast before, but it's been long overdue for another one. Sharon and I chat a lot about like the unity of spirituality and social justice and also sensitivity 
and social justice, and they're all connected in our experiences to that and with that. And yeah, maybe we'll just, so we're going to talk about those themes on this episode. And, you know, I think that this is, might be true for you too, is like, for me, I do think that the more I've learned about myself and being a highly sensitive person and an empath is like, it's definitely made me it, it's sensitive to injustices. I feel like it's a big part of what helps me show up for this work. And as you were saying earlier, like, yeah, it's like one of the key things that helps us stay committed as well as like our relationship to spirituality and however we define that for ourselves. And I know that this work of social justice and feminism is hard. It's really hard work. And especially when you're committed to it and you're committed to learning and unlearning. And it's meant to be hard, right? And it's meant to be uncomfortable. And especially when you hold space for other folks too, to learn and unlearn. And it's burnout can happen easily and hopelessness and frustration. And so, yeah, we're, I know that for both of us, our spiritual practice is essential for us and continuing to show up. So maybe I'll just start with by asking you if you can share more about what spirituality means to you and how that is connected to social justice. Sure. I feel like it's timely to mention that it was about seven years ago when I first began holding spaces, like spiritual spaces for others. And it's been a very illuminating seven years. There's been a lot of growth and a lot of change over that time. My perception of what spirituality is, what it looks like, who is practicing it, what practices, rituals, ceremonies are being used, what costumes, tools are being used. And so my feelings around spirituality have changed vastly over the last seven years, mainly because my entry in, into, I guess, the online spiritual wellness world came about because my family and I relocated from Sydney to Brisbane. And my initial start was connecting online globally with people from all walks of life, initially practicing like art and painting and creativity. And the reason why I mention this is to illustrate, I guess, the journey that I have been on for the last seven years, a journey that started with, I guess, a good foundational knowledge and understanding of various spiritual practices and where they came from, because I'm very interested in people and human behaviour and culture and the differences, particularly as a biracial person living on stolen land. And I'm someone who has always been able to connect a lot of dots. So I'm really good at noticing patterns of behaviour, patterns in thinking and systems and stuff like that. Always been really good at that. And that skill I've honed quite well over the last few years in particular. And so my initial few years sort of in the spiritual online world, as well as in person holding sacred circles for other people, I started to see the patterns of like, whose books were on my shelf, whose tarot cards, whose oracle cards was I buying and just really noticing, well, 
there is a lot of mismatched stuff that was happening and I didn't feel very comfortable with it anymore. And it was around 2016 that I started, which was just really the year after I was like in this sort of spiritual wellness kind of stage that I started to examine and look at what was and what wasn't working. You know, what things was I learning through all of these, you know, whitewashed spiritual books and teachers and thought leaders? What was I learning? Where did it come from? And what was missing? I guess one of the first things I noticed was I'm not represented here. And if I'm not represented here, how is this why these certain techniques and practices and modalities are not working for me? So because I wasn't represented and I, it was very rare for me to see anyone who had similar racialized identities to myself, I started to sort of look at, well, what information was preventing me from accessing the things that I really wanted and needed in my life? And it was a very long journey of realizing what that actually was. And so I, in 2016, after a, a breakdown of sorts, you could say, I was just so overwhelmed with dealing with past trauma and recent workplace trauma. I had a lot of question marks about the world and about people and why we believe the things that we believe without doing in-depth exploration of those things. And it was when I look back now, I realise just how much I really overthink things, you know, overthink, overdo, overwork, like all the overs, you know, and um, <laughs> overwhelm. And, and I have to say, because I love doing this when we have chats, I'm going to bring in a pop culture reference. So there was, a, there was an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I can't remember which one, and Buffy says something, you know, I think it's Buffy that says it, you know, I don't want to be overwhelmed. Can't I just be whelmed, you know? <laughs> yes. Can't I just be whelmed? And it's, I think particularly after living through the last three years of a global pandemic and the ways that we have had our connection and communication lines cut off, you know, from in-person to not being able to travel interstate or around the country or even overseas, a combination of those things and also just seeing like how impacted we can all be. Yeah. One thing affects us all in, in varying ways. And in realising that I wasn't represented, so going back a few tangents back, I realised I wasn't represented. Things that I was learning from and reading were not helping me and I wanted to change, I guess, who I was looking to for information and advice. And so I started to expand my search of looking for other racialized people, so Black, Indigenous, people of colour, all around the world. You know, I didn't really, I wasn't being centric to my location. Australia yeah. is quite multicultural, but still has a lot, of, a lot of issues and problems. And I just wanted to connect with different people. And so through writing, through I guess, being part of various online communities I sort of got to know. Where we met, yeah. Yeah, and where we met, yeah. So we met that year, 2016. I think we did, so, yeah. Yeah, so it's been, for us, it's been like six years that we've known each other and that 2016 was kind of that turning point. It was like, you know, I can't, I can't know, I can no longer just be a sheep, you know, I can no longer 
just, you know, mindlessly, and I I, I would use the word very loosely, mindlessly follow just whoever got a book deal or whoever had the biggest following or whoever had, whoever felt the most comfortable on camera to look elsewhere. And so I joined a few groups where people were speaking about feminism. I learned, I learned a lot about the United States and white supremacy. I had already previous knowledge of human rights violations by Australia. I'd written a paper in the past about detention centres when I was studying legal studies of around 2020, no, what was it, 2008. And I've always had a very strong interest in justice. And I would say, yeah. and it's funny because I'm going to mention the number seven again, from the age of seven, you know, was yeah. seven is my, I was age seven and that was my earliest memory of racism. Once it started happening, it didn't stop, never stopped. Right. You know, it was one thing that, two things I couldn't control. I couldn't control people's reactions and I couldn't change what I'm made up of, you know. Right, of course. Um, You know, from a racial or cultural perspective. And so I always felt like I'm here but I don't belong. Right. And so... That happened a few times. And you feel that in, a, in many ways, huh? Yeah. You know, yeah. I've been to some, some events in person with all women speakers, mm-hmm. all white women speakers, very little diversity of experience, privilege, expertise, and just going, I'm here, but I don't belong here and I right. don't see myself represented. And so for me, spirituality is part of my journey because it's where I noticed that there was some glaringly obvious gaps gaps yeah yeah Yeah. exclusions yeah many exclusions and so I binned all of those books and all of those cards and it just so happens around the time of the binning was when some of these white women that were on my shelf were acting up and acting out online (laughs) and so I started to see the anti-blackness, the appropriation of Indigenous cultural practices and tools and costumes and decided and realised that this is not something that I, I don't agree with this. And so from then, it would have been about 2017, I started writing more about my thoughts and my feelings and my experiences and just the layers of experiences I had as a child um, into adulthood and the micro-coded kind of covert things that people would say and do sometimes to me, sometimes about others. And I realised that I'm really good at flying under the radar because of presumptions and assumptions made about me over my life from primary school age right through to, you know, into my 30s and I'm 45 now, being described as the quiet achiever as shy, as introverted, and as someone who's biracial Asian, certainly in my 20s when I looked a lot younger (laughs) and coded to be someone who is submissive, who's Mm -hmm. not going to speak up, who will just, yeah, who will just put up with it. And and I started to notice around 2003 when I slightly changed career paths. So I went from working as like an admin assistant admin support person into a more specialized field of defense contracts 
and I would engage with people and I dealt with, like I worked in many male-dominated workplaces and just noticing how some people would speak to me. Mm. And because I already had a lot of solid practice for, I guess, by that point, maybe eight years of adapting to whatever environment I was in so that I could give the appearance of fitting in whilst also on the inside feeling absolutely exhausted at the end of every day and at the time not knowing why. And I've only known for three weeks why, that my burnout, my overwhelm, my exhaustion, my tiredness from being around a lot of men, a lot of white people was just, has been too much. And so noticing my levels, but just that that perception of like someone looks a certain way, so they must be break, you know, yeah. not smart or not outspoken. And and I proved that I wasn't, I suppose. Yeah. Right. Because I'm someone who's never been able to shut up when something matters. But it was quite interesting being in that situation where people would speak down to me. You know, there was a few men that would always speak down to me. And I started to play with the idea of I can make this ruin my day or I can actually have fun with this. (laughs) I know this is so strange and I feel like I must be such a petty bitch when people are listening to this for the first time, but just that I started to speak in the same way back. (laughs) Yes, yes. And how, what was their, how did they respond to that? It took a while, but after a Christmas party, I found out that one particular person would always speak down to me in a patronising manner, did so because he thought that I was a lot younger than what I was. So it was that, that pairing, that combination of being coded as a woman, you know, someone who was maybe closer to 20 than, than 30, because I was about 27, 20, no, 28 at the time, I think, 27, I think. And then the fact that I was visibly Asian, biracial Asian, and thinking that, oh, those are the elements that make people think that they can speak to me in particular ways or why I've been viewed a particular way and grossly, grossly underestimated. And that's what I found. This this guy, you know, got drunk enough to actually say that he thought I was a lot younger and, and, you know, he didn't say, he didn't apologise for the way he spoke to me or anything, but I think he eventually began to respect me because I was just mirroring his behavior so in the workplace it's kind of like you depending on what your identities are you mask and you mirror seeing that I have come to the realization that I'm neurodivergent and autistic just in the last few weeks I've been able to reflect like I've gone through all of the file tabs in my brain can point and remember certain events lessons relationships friendships why they went the way they did why the communication went poorly all of these kinds of things I know not everyone likes surprises, but I like to do the exact opposite of what people expect from me. And I'm, mm. and not as a game or as a this is how I'm evolving, but just because, one, it's survival. And two, I also know from dormant trauma that I didn't address for two, over two decades just how silence can kill you slowly and that not speaking up, sometimes it's not about you. You know, not speaking up sometimes is never, ever about you and how it's going to make you feel. Sometimes speaking up is about preventing harm for other people, making yeah. people more aware of their actions. And there is no denial like someone who refuses to be accountable. Yes. So all of these things are intertwined 
you know, the lack of accountability we've seen people perceived as leaders who receive pedestals because of their levels of privilege and influence. And for me, having spiritual practices that sometimes might not seem all that spiritual and have certainly evolved over time, like with materials used, I follow the moon, I plan my life according to my menstrual cycle, so my energy, you know, my energy, yeah. my senses, my sensitivities. And I'm realising that it's okay if I need a shit tonne more rest. And I think, you know, with all of the hustle stuff and the conditioning and all of the ways hard work and oppressive practices and oppressive ways of working and, like, overextending yourself and doing things 24-7, how unhealthy they are and how it's a system that's not designed for any of us and just also, like, with all of those ableist hard work messages, consistency, yeah. being productive, just how that also can cause us to hate ourselves because we're not trying hard enough. Yeah. Um, and if you're someone who is more sensitively attuned and inclined and yes. who can get overwhelmed by just sort of how full on it is to be online and communicating, promoting, marketing, holding space, doing all of the business, admin things, it's so hard to just give yourself permission to just rest. Absolutely. Um, because doing nothing is still doing something. <laughs> yes. It's helpful. It's supportive. It's, it yeah. is helping you. Yeah. yeah. It should be part of our lives. Doing nothing yeah. should be a part of our lives that we intentionally do and that we're encouraged yeah. to do. That's right. And when we just give ourselves time and space, I've noticed that, you know, one thing that I've realized in terms of energy and being sensitive and sensory, you know, aware and, and hyper empathic is the way that we all have different batteries, you know, yes. different each day, different each week, different every month. And, yeah, we can sometimes detect patterns and stuff and, and work out who we are through that and what we need. But I really think that we see this big message about getting rest, taking care of yourself, you know, fulfilling, making sure your basic needs are met. And most of the time they are just basic right. needs. Exactly. And sometimes there's, you know, there's more things that you can do to support yourself. But just how when it comes to rest, we feel like we were, sometimes we were, were so conditioned, it's like, oh, I need to just schedule it in instead of just listening to your body and as yes. your body needs it. You know, when your mind is tired, when your brain is foggy, when you're getting repeated migraines or headaches, when your neck just gets a little quick thing in it and it's just like frozen and stuff, just really paying attention to our bodies because that's like the barometer of our energy. If we are always go, 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 and we never stop, and we're always trying to strive to be consistent and productive and just, you know, how terrible that is, like through an ableist lens and what that means for disabled, chronically ill, neurodivergent people, we're never going to be able to sustain a healthy level of living you know and when I say healthy I don't mean health food or anything I mean in a way that we feel like hydrated <laughs> nourished, yes. nurtured yes. and that our battery you know goes up and down but let's try not to get into the red like we need to like still have some like green bars in our battery and to also like not project onto others like that we think they're taking too much rest 
because we don't always know the full story of someone. And that's right. If you're exhausted and need more rest, the last thing you want to do is to explain yourself. Yes. <laughs> don't yes. feel like you have to do that. Do you want to co-create a new industry standard for helping professionals and entrepreneurs like yourself where you are devoted to the praxis of inclusive feminism in your life, business, and client practice in order to truly serve yourself, your clients, and society in more nuanced, whole, liberating, and long-lasting ways? Then we invite you to join our Feminist Coach Theory Training. Go to feministcoachacademycourses.com to enroll today. We hope to see you in our community and co-create this vision together. I think one of the things that I wanted to mention, particularly because of the rest piece and just how we can burn out from doing really important work in the world when we really care about others and we care about marginalised people and we care about racialised people and we want these oppressive systems to be reduced to dust that we mm-hmm. have to always acknowledge, no matter what level of our privilege, what level of privilege we have, we're, we always have the capacity, someday, any day, to make a difference and to do something. But with rest, some benefits. I think way more clearly when I've actually given myself time to just like sloth around, like really sloth around. <laughs> like I'm not checking my emails. I'm not scrolling endlessly on social media and just on the sensory part of that even if we're not reading every headline we're not like studying every picture we're not reading every post we're still consuming that information it's still going in there it's still taking up space you're sensitive you are still processing all of that stuff alongside the stuff that you've consciously chosen to process and to retain as information and that can be exhausting so just notice like if you take a day of rest or a few hours like what changes in you, you know? Do you feel like more grounded? Like do you feel like when you take a deep breath, you can feel like it's filling you up and pulling it out and it's you're exhaling and it's out and you feel like more grounded, more in your body, not disembodied, not disemboweled either, but not like disconnected, like you're fully attuned. So, And also I guess because I'm someone who suffers from chronic migraine and stuff, just the clarity of thought that comes when you actually do rest, you know, how, you know, because of the nature of my work as a writer and as a coach and to make people, provoke people into thinking and and provoke people into action, I can ask more deeply poignant questions and I can pose ideas in a way where people can actually take it on board and reflect on it a bit, you know, And I guess too, by like teaching people to just notice their senses, notice their battery, adjusting boundaries on what we do consume and what Mm -hmm. we will take on board. But I guess through my work, the combination of everything, it's really just to get people to really access more of of who they are Mm. and access more of their critical thinking skills, you know? Yes, absolutely. We've um, experienced that with folks in FCA is folks who, many folks who take FCA, they discover, you know, they not only do they learn and unlearn about systems of oppression, but they learn more about themselves 
And it's also a personal growth work for themselves to also unlearn the oppression they've internalized and how that shows up in their everyday life and their relationships. Yeah, it's been very, very powerful when we do this work because it's undoing it within ourselves and also in society. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I can speak for myself. I don't have to just speak for our students. I mean, I'm, I'm continuing to do this work and unravel every, pretty much every day as well. And I think I do learn and unlearn something, even if it's small, every single day. But that's because I am super aware. I am super sensitive and I'm super aware of myself and my surroundings and yeah, those things. Um, it's it's hard to turn that off. I mean, can't, I can't turn off my sensitivity. That's oh, for no. sure. No, no, no. And I, <laughs> yeah, and I've stopped trying, right? But I do rest, like you're saying. I there are days where I just sloth around, and <laughs> for me, and I know rest looks different for everyone, and I want to hear what it looks like for you. I. Recently, a friend was telling me that rest for her is like meditating all day. That would not be rest for me at all. No. <laughs> that's work. <laughs> and that's that's like getting in touch with all these thoughts in your brain. It's like, oh, hell no. I, I need to escape. I mean, I, I move my body regularly anyway. And so that certainly, well, it depends. Like sometimes I do need to rest from that, depending on how much I did move my body. Uh, but just being out in nature is helpful for me and helps me feel more connected to my spiritual self and which in turn helps me, you know, show up more and for this work. And, but also I do just need to escape into TV movies because that is a big form of art for me and always has been. When I watch, you know, I'm really into TV and movies for the sake of the art too. And I like to be other characters. I like to be the character and what, like, it's not so much that I like to be it. I just happen to be like, get affected by it. Right. So where like I become that character, but in a good way. I know some people, for some people, that may not be a positive thing, but for me it is. But it's, you know, it's all. I've just realized all of this about myself and it's helped me like accept all of that more because sometimes I do feel lazy um, when I allow myself to do that. But I also realize that, no, that's just how I am and who I am and what I need. It's so important for us to be able to identify what it is that we need and to then go and do that thing. Yeah, sometimes the execution is a bit challenging. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Well, so yes. Sometimes I, my body wants to eat a salad, but I'm not in the mood, you know, you know, there's different, yeah, different things where it's like, so what about you? What if, I mean, also I have other ways like taking, being in hot water and taking baths and like, you know, just, mm. and sleeping a lot. But yeah, what about you? What does the rest look like? I love taking baths, but I, I used to read in the bath, but now I prefer, you know, the lights dimmed and Yes. to like watch a show oh, yes. so sometimes maybe the content of what I'm watching isn't particularly restful but <laughs> I'm in the bar and that's the important bit I'm in there right. doesn't matter <laughs> or adventure <laughs> or you know drama I'm still like it's still part of the experience 
other things I like to do, well, I do like to read, you know, my tarot and oracle cards. I do a lot of creative journaling and, you know, sometimes that involves actual writing and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's just, you know, playing with stickers and washi tape and just being in the creation of, you know, design of that spread. And I also, I'm a bit of a kitchen witch, so I'm really mindful about, you know, what herbs and spices and things I use and, and I like too. to slow cook and stuff like that. So, and cook seasonally as well. Me too. Um, yes. Yeah. So I've had various phases over the last couple of years where I'm just so overcooking because I feel like, because I haven't taken enough rest because I've been burned out yeah. and, you know, I don't have the headspace sometimes. So just making things a bit easier, you know, in terms of, you know, what can I simplify, you know, in cooking, but also making things that can be frozen and, you know, just doing a bit of that pre-prep, which doesn't happen very often, but I do try. And more recently, just baking a few cakes and stuff. Oh, so I love that. Yes. That involves like creation. Yeah. Or you're a very creative person. Or yeah, creation or intuition that doesn't yes. require the usual task-oriented, project-focused, dot-connecting brain that's always critically thinking of, and thinking of questions, you know, thinking of more questions than I'm wanting to ask the universe and people and stuff like that. So, yes. yeah, so the combination of creative stuff and intuitive stuff, like, just helps me fill my cup and, yeah, just having baths and just, you know, because we haven't been able to go to the beach. Every time I try and go to the beach, it rains, so I need to have a bath. <laughs> or sometimes there's a pool that I go to, so, yeah. Oh, nice. I love being in warm and hot water. Like, I could do it all day. I don't often have access to a hot tub these days, and I often wonder why. And I often think, why am I not in a hot tub? <laughs> <laughs> well, I need to be in hot water. And so baths are sort of the second best. Mm. And, but yes, I love that too. The dim lighting, candles, essential oils, Epsom salt, you know, bubble bath, music. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, make, you make like an escape that's an experience. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have a lot of water in my chart, my birth chart. And so it makes sense why I love being in water. But it has to be warm or hot. I don't like cold water. Um, okay, so, so no beach yeah. for you. Well, I like the beach, but only, yeah, I'm not going to go in the water unless it's like warm enough. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I like um, the bracing feeling you get when it's like, you know From that it's cold. going to be great once you get in, but whew, that first like, <laughs> first immersion is like, oh, <laughs> it's like, I find it's like a, it's like a kickstart. Like it's kind of like. like uh, kind of rush. My, my battery yeah yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely does that yeah it's like yeah. oh yeah, <laughs> yeah there, it depends on how cool we're talking you know it's sort of the spectrum for me but yeah generally I I'm not I can't do cold plunges you know I'm like oh, okay I've done them <laughs> but yeah. I've just decided like I really hate them and I was only doing them because <laughs> Because I felt like, oh, I should just tough it up and do it. But really, I thought I was going to die the whole time. And so oh I just, at some point, accepted that, 
no, I don't have to do it just because everyone around me tells me, oh, we should. And it's so good for me. No, I just don't want to do it. And I just want to do a hot tub. So yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, this may be good for you, but it's not good for me. <laughs> yeah, but we're all different. So we all need we different, all different things. Yeah. I think over, particularly over the last four years of working for myself, I um, because I've had that flexibility, I've also had the time in some ways to just explore what it is that I need and why I need it. And I've certainly been a lot more responsive and receptive over the last 10 years to like seeking, learning, discovering, growing, healing as well. So I find that it's quite easy for me to know like what now. You know, sometimes you get a piece of information and it's just like, ah, oh, now I can see, you know, I can see exactly what's going on and I can see that, yeah, I have taken care of myself in numerous ways, but there's also some areas that I'm still projecting how I'm feeling inward and how that hurts and how that's, you know, I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. So I feel like that with this new information now that I'm going with more conscious effort in the direction of self-acceptance. Yeah. In a way that there's been. Like a deeper way. Yeah, in a deeper way because there's certainly been a lot of self-loathing over the years, you know. Yeah. Like, you know. It's been a bit of a medley, like say the last 10 years or so, just all of those being bombarded with self-love messages and what self-love, self-care looks like from a whitewash perspective and just having yes. all of that stuff drummed into me and then choosing to like bang my own drum and beat those thoughts away Yeah, from, you know, what emotions that brings up. But a lot of that stuff also brought up a lot of self-loathing because I do think differently. I do behave differently. I do hyper-focus and I do fixate on certain things and interests and stuff. And I do burn out really easily. And when I get overwhelmed, like from a sensory sensitive perspective, it's kind of like an explosion and it feels really horrible. And I feel, and this is, I guess, just a new thought, just with knowing that I'm autistic and ADHD with hyper-empathy is, how I've seen medical practitioners for a long time and when they were treating me for certain symptoms, they were treating the symptom because they didn't discover the cause and just like what a failure that is on their part, not mine. And I think that's one of the things I've noticed in connecting more and reading more about the late-diagnosed autistic ADHD perspectives you know, because there's many perspectives and the experience is different for everyone, is just how how hard it's been to not really know, to know that there's something different, but to move in the in the direction of self-acceptance, it feels really good. Does it feel liberating? Liberating and scary? Yeah, it does feel liberating. And, yeah, liberating and scary. And I've just had to just try and be, you know, try not to overload myself, you know, because there's lots of things that I've been wanting to read that I've saved since, you know, my sessions with my doctor and stuff like that. And I'm just taking bits of information, just noticing, you know, not mm -hmm. implementing anything yet, just noticing what have I established already that supports me. Yeah. And I guess, you know, sort of that crossover between the personal and the professional is 
what do I really enjoy doing? And, you know, where is there too much on my plate with regard to what I'm doing, writing, working, that kind of yeah. thing? And what really brings me joy and yes. what recharges me? And if it doesn't bring me joy and it doesn't recharge me in some way, I'm not going to do it anymore. And this isn't like a new revelation. Right. Uh, it's just clarity of thought based on a decision I made, like a thought that I had about, I guess it would be 18 months ago, about being more boundaried about what I do and what I don't do. Because as someone who always has a lot of ideas, I want to try and do all of the things and I don't know how to stop myself sometimes. And so it's doomed. It can be a doomed path to go down and then just, you know, by the time the ideas, processing, composting, creation process, everything is done, I'm too exhausted to then go, hey, buy my thing. Right, of course. Yeah, so that's why it's like, you know, it feels like a balloon deflating very slowly after the things out there because then by that time I'm like, I just, I'm, I'm too spent. I understand. I do. I really do, yeah. How did you find a supportive doctor? Because I think that is a scary thing for people, whether you're autistic or you're non-binary or trans, it's like you have some kind of marginalized identity and you're trying to find a doctor it's like okay are they really going to understand how I am or are they going to get my pronouns right or you know like there could be that how did you find someone that um, recommendation so a friend oh, is good. a patient of this doctor and, and recommended the doctor to me yeah okay. so it's like when you have like networks and connections and friends online you know it's just really being able, if you're having like open conversations with people and you're getting to know people, like don't be afraid to ask. Or sometimes it comes up because someone is like, I can see, you know, you're troubled or I can see that what you're experiencing is quite difficult for you right now. Maybe I can suggest something, you know, that's still a question. That's still a question asking for consent to share. But, you know, word of mouth and referrals are great, you know, if they're from people that you that you trust and who, you know, who and from people who already truly see you, you know, I think that's kind of the difference. But in terms of like how do you find a doctor, I know that in Australia there are some lists for doctors around um, Australia. I have know of a list that it just has racialized doctors on there, so black, indigenous, people of colour doctors. Hmm. So and then it will just like list, you know, who they are, where they're located and what, you know, what their area of medical practice is and that kind of thing. So there are always those kinds of directories you can find online yes. through social media or Google. And, of course, you can always ask your GP referral, but do also your – it's really hard to like find it's hard, yeah. suitable. It, it really is. is. Because just because mm. someone's a medical professional doesn't mean that they are – experienced in or have developed skills and knowledge on how to treat gender diverse yeah clients you know they don't always take into account is important yeah like our Mm. social identities they don't always take into account i mean this is why we have a program that we do right for all healthy professionals that includes doctors actually you know (laughs) that includes everyone who's a healthy professional because it's like everyone needs to know this stuff everyone needs to be aware yeah but sometimes we're exposed to people who 
think they know everything already and don't really care about learning for various reasons. Denial is usually a prime one and as is privilege. Right. (laughs) I'd hate to say it, but I will verbalise it just for some reflection, and that is people with the most privilege. Yeah. If it's not going to affect them in a positive way, then they won't do it. Right. Does privilege breed ignorance? Does it uphold and continue ignorance? Yes. <laughs> Gotta unlearn this shit. Yeah, I think I think we're coming to our time. Is there anything else you would like to share about what you do or give any links where people can find you or anything? Well, people can find me on my, my website, SharonHolmes.com. I have a few self-study options at the moment. Okay, great. We'll put the links in the episode notes. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. This was awesome conversation. Yeah, I love speaking with you. Thank you. I love speaking with you too. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please go to www.feministcoachacademy.com to learn more about our training, to grab our freebies. We have a number of freebies available for you and to learn more about who we are and to listen to more podcast episodes. Make sure you are subscribed to our podcast in iTunes or Spotify and that you're following us on social media at Feminist Coach Academy on Instagram and Facebook. And if you love our podcast, we would love it if you would rate and write us a review. That would be amazing. Thank you so much. Have a joyful rest of your day.